When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from TalkSport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, the Mirror's assistant editor, Darren Lewis, and TalkSport's Alex Crook as we get giddy about the fans coming back into Wembley for the FA Cup semi-finals. Mares, corner taken short, it's Foden! Yeah! the inside of the post and in! On the show this week, Alex Crook, TalkSport commentator, thinks that Stockport's Phil Foden will light up the arch at Wembley. He's just a wonderful player to watch. He could skip barefooted through a field of broken glass. He is is such a a silky player. Darren Lewis asks, why does Jose Mourinho seem to get more grief than other managers who haven't won as much? Mikel Arteta was asked a question about, you know, what happens if if Arsenal lose? And he he refused to answer the question. Now, if Mourinho had done that, people would be hammering him. Plus, will Leicester win their first FA Cup semi-final in 39 years? Manchester United change their colours and why are Everton so dull? All on the ultimate preview of all the weekend's footballing action. From TalkSport, it's the Game Day Podcast. And a big hello to Darren Lewis and Alex Crook. Dramatic week in the Champions League. Chelsea showing the art of game management. Liverpool not really taking the chances that came their way against Real Madrid. Uh, Manchester City... Uh, using Phil Foden, I mean, brilliantly. Uh, and they, the way they set up against Borussia Dortmund, I was a little bit uh, concerned, really, because I think all the team sheets had Bernardo Silva in the force nine, but it was certainly Kevin De Bruyne who was playing in the first half, at least, further forward. I worried for them after Jude Bellingham started the game so well, but wow, um, what, what a fantastic goal to seal the deal from Phil Foden. Um, Darren, how was the uh, Bayern-Chelsea second leg? sorry Uh, Darren had a bit of a tweet mishap last week where he sent out reflection on the game that didn't happen well we think he did it might have been one of his minions talking of which Phil Foden is the latest uh, to fall foul of this isn't he because um, apparently he appeared to call out Kylian Mbappe last night uh, but said it wasn't me it was it was the guy who runs my socials why why a footballer who runs his socials actually let me tell you I'm quite annoyed with him because he said he would run my social. And, <laughs> after and, ruining and yours. Like and I, exactly. After ruining mine, I asked around and apparently he'd been working on Joe Hart socials the week before. <laughs> uh, we, we, we do jest, but why do footballers who train for three hours, four days a week and play a match maybe twice a week, why do they need someone to run their socials? Why are they so busy? Why is their diary so hectic that they can't? send a, a five-second tweet themselves after a win. I, I wonder if it's because they want to make sure that they don't get uh, involved in any sort of pitfalls and fall foul of any mistakes because, uh, you know, that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? Or because when there is mistakes made, they can just turn around and say, it wasn't me, Gov. It was somebody else. Um, look, Crook never one to uh, show too much respect to the football fan uh, suffering from raw emotions. I think waited until about 30 seconds after the full-time whistle uh, between Real Madrid and Liverpool to start goading Darren Lewis. Um, <laughs> have you two made up now? Well, listen, in Darren's defence, they haven't got Virgil van Dijk and that's why they missed all those chances against Real Madrid. So, come on, let's not be too harsh. Do you know what? I know that you know far, far more about football than to believe that Liverpool have not been affected by the loss of one of the best defenders the Premier League has ever seen. If we got some sad music, maybe a tiny violin there for, for Darren Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> Liverpool's defensive strength over the last two seasons has been built on the acquisition of Virgil van Dijk. He has made Trent 
Alexander Arnold on the right of him, a better player. I remember, I don't know if you saw, in all seriousness, do you remember when Gary Neville was talking about when he played alongside uh, Rio Ferdinand? And at the start of a match, Rio would say to him, look, what we're going to make sure is that nothing comes down our side. Yeah, we are going to be very defensively strong. This would have worked better if you didn't put words in. But the fact is that (laughs) there is nobody comparable to this. It's a good point you make, Darren, but didn't Rio Ferdinand miss? comparable to Van Dyke alongside friend alexander arnold and that's the big problem okay right we've had this debate about 300 times over the course of the season just a final word though because he's mentioned rio ferdinand didn't rio ferdinand miss eight months for a a, a missed drugs test did manchester united fall so dramatically when rio ferdinand wasn't there propping up their defense but 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 (laughs) can we please move on to the weekend's footballing action you're listening to the FA Cup on Talk Sport. Redmond is through and fires it brilliantly past Begovic into the top left-hand corner. Southampton two up in first half stoppage time and they'll feel they've already got a foot in the FA Cup semi-finals. Chilwell down the left-hand side, first time cross, ZH controls, oh and finishes superbly and Chelsea are through to the semi-finals of the FA Cup. De Bruyne is steaming through the centre here, he can finish it left-footed, he will finish it. Whacking the ball beyond Jal Virginia, and that should be safe passage through to the semi finals of the FA Cup for Manchester City. Here comes the free kick, and he's headed in 3 1 Leicester. It is, it's Ian Acho at the far post. Leicester 3, Manchester United 1, and now they will dare to dream those foxes that the place in the last four is going to be theirs. This is why we love the FA Cup. Two FA Cup semi-finals live on TalkSport this weekend. Chelsea against Manchester City and Leicester against Southampton. We used to pick out the two big strikers that were going to shoot their team to glory, but we can't do that uh, for Chelsea-Manchester City because neither of them play with one. Uh, Foden against Mount is about as best uh, we can do. Uh, Who is going to light up Wembley? Alex Crook. Uh, Probably Foden, um, in all honesty. I think he is in the the form of his life. Uh, Obviously, our own Jamie O'Hara has said that he thinks he's better than Paul Gascoigne. and I think that might be over-egging the pudding slightly, but I think he has the potential uh, to be the greatest English player of a generation. And you have to credit Pep Guardiola because last season, a lot of journalists and even some Manchester City fans were, were crying out for Foden to be sent out on loan, get some game time under his belt, but he kept him there. He wanted him to to learn the pet way as the heir to the David Silver throne. And, and here he is now, absolutely shining. And, and he's just a wonderful player to watch. Uh, to use the old analogy about Steve McManaman, he could skip barefooted through a field of broken glass. He is, he is such a, a silky player. And, and he's got the lot, hasn't he? He scores goals, he creates goals. He's got a big heart. He's got a big engine. I think he'll relish the chance of, of shining in a Wembley semi-final. Uh, Darren, Manchester City ripped Chelsea apart at the bridge earlier in the season when these two met. I think it was December. But since then, Chelsea have changed manager and have become a lot more pragmatic. What sort of game are we expecting? An edgier, cagey affair? Yeah, I think it will be a cagey affair. Um, I, I don't even think it will be that good a game uh, because neither side are that porous defensively. We've talked for weeks, haven't we, about Manchester City's defensive record and the fact that they've kept more clean sheets in the other, in, than any other team in Europe's top five leagues. And up until recently, uh, Chelsea had conceded only two goals in something like 19 matches. So... Um, I don't expect this to be particularly free scoring. I think there'll be a lot of hype around it because that's what our jobs are. Let's not kid ourselves. But I think in in actual fact, there'll be a lot of individual battles and it will hinge, I think, on a mistake or a moment of pure genius. I think City will win because I think the momentum is with them, even though it would have been a huge boost for Chelsea to get through as they did the other day. And I think players like Foden, as Crook has said, it doesn't often get much, right? But I think as far as Alex has said, Foden is in such a hot moment at the moment that I, I think that he could well be the one who settles this game. Mm, I, I did read some particularly uh, revealing 
uh, piece of uh, prose in The Sun today, though, in which it suggested that uh, Tommy Tuchel's teeny boppers are now the masters of the dark arts, with Rhys James saying that one of the reasons they got through against Porto is because they know how to manage a game and give a bit back. Wasn't a great performance against Porto, though, was it? Um, well, I think it, it was a very well-managed performance, actually. It wasn't the type of performance that I think will be good enough to beat Manchester City and, and just on the subject of Foden again I remember the, the League Cup final um, when he was man of the match so he's got Wembley form he knows what it's like to perform there I, I, I agree with Darren I think Manchester City will, will have too much for Chelsea and it will be another significant step on the road to what I think will be a treble because I still think in the Champions League they might just come up short Well they've got uh, PSG in the semi-finals of that I mean does it put extra pressure on this game from Pep's perspective uh, Darren because everyone's now starting to talk more intensely about the quadruple? Not really, because everyone's been talking about it for so long. And I think as far as the players are concerned, each of the matches they play in now are massive games. So now there's this, then there's a League Cup final. There'll be all the narrative around Jose. There'll be all of the individual battles in that game. So we are some way away from the semi-final. And I think when that happens, there'll be all of the narratives around that. But I think that there is so much football to be played in so many big batches that I don't think the PSG thing is going to overshadow it at all. Yeah, it's a pivotal couple of weeks for Manchester City. They've got the FA Cup semi-final. Then they have a league game the following week. But then it's the Carabao Cup final. Then the first leg of the semi-final. So we'll find out a lot in the next sort of 15 days. In fact, I think it's not even that, is it? I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's 12 days' time. Um, right, OK. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Chelsea because I just wonder whether or not this game has lost a little bit of luster for them because they've propelled themselves into what, I think, going back to January, was probably an unlikely Champions League semi-final crook. Um, yes and no, because I think Chelsea managers are judged on silverware. And again, I, I know they're in the f- more favourable half of the draw in the Champions League, but they've still got to beat Real Madrid. So it, if it's Chelsea... favourable go- half of the draw at this stage, Crook. I mean, <laughs> it's Real Madrid or PSG or Man City, isn't it? There's no favourable half of a, of a Champions oh, League draw. Crikey. <laughs> well, 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 I would argue they've got the weaker of the three teams left in, but what? that's that's probably splitting hairs. But what I was going to say is... The if team that's Tom- won the Champions League three times. In the- <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. If Thomas Tuchel is they, going They never to- win the Champions League, that Real Madrid team, do they? I mean, crikey. I mean, they're, they're the most inexperienced group out of the lot of them. Champions League winning. That, that Modric and Tony Kroos. I mean, we just bypass those. <laughs> What I was going to say before I was rudely interrupted was that if Thomas Tuchel is to win silverware, then clearly this is his best opportunity. Uh, But it's not a particularly easy opportunity because they'll have to beat Manchester City. What I would say is I think the winner of the FA Cup will come out of this semi-final. Although my dark horse, when we did the third round podcast, are in the other semi-final, in case you'd forgotten. Game two this weekend in the FA Cup semi-finals is Leicester against Southampton. It's Sunday 6.30. It is also live on Talk Sport. Dean Ashton and I will be there for that one. Um, Leicester's first semi-final since 1982. Alex Crook wasn't born. The Eurovision Song Contest was happening in Harrogate. Yes, that really happened. And uh, My Camera Never Lies by Bucks Fizz was number one. They lost that semi-final, Leicester. Uh, what will the back page photos tell us um, on Monday morning? Darren Lewis. I, th- I think they will. I think they'll talk about the success and the potential for Brendan Rodgers to win this kind of silverware that his work at the King Power demands. He's got a really talented, vibrant, youthful squad there. I think that Leicester have something they do and they don't. You know, they keep defying the people who think that they're going to tumble out of the top four. There are individual players who've got some. A, a, something to prove. Uh, Madison in particular, after letting Rogers and the club down the other day and with it appearing that he's now out of the England picture, maybe he might want to put on a performance to remind people that it could be a mistake to leave a player of his considerable ability out of the Euros. But I just see them having far too much in every area of the pitch for a Southampton side for whom the wheels appear to have fallen off with their last result. Uh, Brendan Rogers only welcomed back that uh, trio uh, to training on Wednesday after they breached COVID-19 protocols, Madison Chowdhury 
and Perez, the other two involved, Morgan and uh, Barnes, injured at the moment and weren't going to be involved anyway. But is the return of Charles Sionchu actually of greater significance, Alex Crook? Yeah, I think so, because he forms such a good partnership, doesn't he, with, with Johnny Evans. And obviously they did look vulnerable defensively against West Ham. I think this game is there for the winning um, for Leicester, even with some absentees, because Darren's right to highlight that Southampton performance against West Bromwich Albion. It was absolutely dreadful. I mean, they, they could have easily lost five or six nil against a team destined for the championship next what, what season. What do you that put is... that down to? You, 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 you watch Southampton every single week. You speak to their players, their manager on a regular basis. What do you put it down to? Is it just one eye on the semi-final and not wanting to get injured or whatever, or knowing that their Premier League season is done? I think if it was an isolated result, you could probably say yes to that, that, that maybe their minds are elsewhere. But if you look at their form in general, in 2020, only Manchester City won more games in the calendar year than Southampton. In 2021, they've taken 10 points from 15 Premier League matches. They've had injuries in that time, but everybody bar Oriol Romeu, who has been a big loss in midfield, I have to say that, is now fit. So it was their best team against West Brom. I thought he might actually keep a couple of players in reserve for the semi-final. He didn't. I wonder if the Danny Ings situation is starting to have a disruptive effect. Ryan Bertrand as well is out of contract and there's some haggling going on there about the length of the deal that Southampton are willing to offer him and if he will even be their first choice left back next season. I think they have their sights set on signing Brandon Williams from Manchester United. So there are one or two things going on behind the scenes and it's difficult to put an exact finger on why they're not performing, but they're going to have to find a performance from somewhere to, to even stay in this semi-final if Leicester are at their best. I know we're not allowed to mention it, but are we uh, going to have to take an abacus with us again this week? Because <laughs> these, these two have got previous? No, no I, I, I doubt that. I think uh, Southampton are better at managing the, managing games than they were on that freak day. It wasn't that much um, of a freak. It happened twice. <laughs> I know it was very Bruce. There was something very Bruce Willis about it, wasn't there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> get beat, get beat harder. Um, look, it's easy to build this as sort of Vardy against Ings, isn't it? But actually, probably the main characters are. Uh, Ward Prowse, who I think has been brilliant over the course of the season and has been excellent. I, I, I think he's been excellent for England, to be fair. He's so fit and he gets up and down the pitch. He plays in a different position now than he did maybe early in his Southampton career. His set pieces are, are sensational. I imagine we might see one of the great FA Cup semi-final free kicks this weekend. Uh, but Nacho, who will need to be tamed, 11 in 11. Yeah, and Ralph Harsen, who's admitted after Monday night that defensively Southampton are not performing well at the moment. So coming up against a striker in form and against a, a player like Jamie Vardy as well, who may not be scoring goals, but still certainly keeping defenders on their toes. That's a worry. Um, Danny Ings has been quiet, really. Um, I don't think it's been his best season. I think he's probably played his way out of contention for the European Championships. But Theo Walcott, I know you're speaking to him uh, for game day on Saturday. He's a player with history in the FA Cup. He loves the FA Cup. He spoke uh, in depth about that final against Aston Villa uh, to me for the Arsenal book that I wrote during the first lockdown. And I wonder if he might just have a a big Wembley performance in store because you mentioned James Ward-Prowse, how fit he is. The stats tell us that Theo Walcott is second only to Ward-Prowse in terms of the amount of kilometres that he's run since he joined Southampton. Interesting, yeah, because I, I spoke to, to Theo yesterday about the, the interview and he, he said, oh, I love talking about the FA Cup. I love the FA Cup. Um, and obviously, um, he has a, a great history with it. Could be a thrilling end to the season for Leicester City. At the same time, if it goes against them, it could be a series of sucker punches between now and the end of May. Their last three games are Chelsea... Manchester United and Tottenham and then a possible cup final to be a Leicester fan. Everton against Tottenham is Friday night 8 o'clock. Now Crook sent me a text during the latest Everton draw on Monday night. Everton are so dull, aren't they? Uh, I heard Adrian Durham subsequently on TalkSport Drive the next day ask whether or not it's going to be a wasted opportunity for Everton if they don't get into Europe this season. Um, is Friday night's meeting a meeting of two of the biggest underachievers of the season, Darren? Yes, I, I think so. Certainly in the case of, of Everton. I'm really disappointed with the way that their season has petered out. They've had games in hand on a number of occasions on the teams ahead of them. And time and again, they keep blowing them. And I think the 
failure to be a Crystal Palace side who are pretty much on the beach already kind of summed up their ability, their inability to take their chances. If you look at their home form, I think I'm right in saying they have lost seven of their 10 games at Goodison Park. So they're not capitalising on their home form. They're not beating the teams that they should be away from home. And for a side with so much ability in it, and a side about whom people had big hopes, there was some suggestion, wasn't there, that maybe they could be in contention for a top four place. I think there'll be a lot of surgery in the summer. I think Ancelotti will target a new goalkeeper. I think he'll look for reinforcements in defence. I think he'll look for more firepower up front. I think he needs more defensive security, full stop. And I think this is going to be a very, very busy summer as far as Ancelotti is concerned in terms of him bringing in people that he can rely on because he likes to be operating in Europe and this Everton side do not have a chance of doing that. They um, didn't manage to beat a Crystal Palace side that were already on the beach. They didn't have much success when they went to the beach to take on Brighton either crook i mean it was uh, a pretty drab game wasn't it on monday night um but as darren said they've kept one clean sheet in their last nine home matches everton i mean is there any chance we could get a repeat of that balmy fa cup game between the two when it was 5-4 it would appear unlikely uh, wouldn't it given, given everton's um lack of form and and the fact that Tottenham have gone back to being pragmatic to mirror their manager. Um, I had a football equivalent of Beauty and the Beast this week because on Monday I had to sit through that drab nil-nil draw. I have that every Thursday Brighton. when I sit with you two. <laughs> and then on Tuesday, the, the polar opposite, when I watched Paris Saint-Germain against Bayern Munich, which is how football should be played. I was really disappointed. I know I texted you and, and said Everton are, are dull, but I was disappointed with Ancelotti. To name six defenders, and I know he was stretched by injury, but six defenders away from home against Brighton. And, and they played like a team who were happy to come away uh, with a draw. And that's exactly how it turned out. They never looked like winning the game. And, I've, I've joked before on this podcast, it doesn't seem to matter how many millions of pounds get invested into this team. Everton always finish eighth. And I think they're going to finish eighth again. And I think it is a wasted opportunity, especially when you look at the fact that Arsenal have struggled so badly. Tottenham haven't found any consistency. Liverpool have fallen away. There was a chance there um, for Everton. And to go back to the point we were making last week, if David Moyes takes West Ham into Europe at the expense of Carlo Ancelotti, I think questions should be asked. Um, Tottenham's boss came under heavy criticism in the aftermath of their limp display against Manchester United at the weekend, Darren. Um, on this podcast, we gave him a bit of um, stick as well, mainly because he came up with the feeblest of distraction techniques um, that we'd heard all season, when clearly he was jumping on a comment from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and trying to come up with some sort of moral point to just try and steer people away from the fact that his team aren't very good. Uh, but has any of that anger, frustration, uh, any of that sort of animosity towards him dissipated in the intervening days? No, I don't think it has, but... I almost wonder if Mourinho is suffering from what Pochettino suffered from, which is a lack of substantial investment in the team. And by that, I know people point out and say, well, they bought Roden and they bought regular. But I mean, at centre-half, I've said for many, for a long time, you know, and and we've all had this conversation, Spurs need quality at centre-half. Sanchez has lost it. Roden has stepped up from the championship and found that step up so far too difficult. If you look at the other Sorry, team, but he is ignoring Belgium's top centre-half. Toby Alderweireld is nowhere near the player that he was when he arrived from Southampton, uh, what, seven years ago, I think it was. Uh, you so were, so you, would, you, would you advocate leaving him on the bench? Yes, I would. Yes, I would. I've got no compunction about saying that either. Toby Alderweireld is not the player he once was. He makes too many mistakes. He's too slow. He doesn't have the authority he once did. He's not the same player. It's not, you know, controversial to do that. But the problem is that Mourinho, in some people's eyes, is a is a villain. He's a pantomime villain. Anything he does. Listen, yesterday, let me give an example of what I mean by in the post in the pre-game press conference for Arsenal's game against Slavia Prague, Mikel Arteta was asked a question about, you know, what happens if, if Arsenal lose. And he, he refused to answer the question. Now, if Mourinho had done that, people would be hammering him. But instead, 
Arteta gets away with it. But isn't that know? because Mourinho's bought, built up this sort of character over the course of time? And and by design, by the way, let's not pretend. I mean, it, it, all of us have met Jose Mourinho in front of a camera and away from a camera. And mm-hmm. Jose Mourinho away from a camera is a very different character to Jose Mourinho in front of a camera. He, he, mm-hmm. is, he puts on a show when you're doing an interview, when you're doing uh, a piece to camera, whatever. Yeah, that's the way... He is because he tries to create a a certain sort of presence, which he uses it to his advantage. And he has done for many years to try and create some sort of distraction technique when things go wrong um, and suck in the praise when things go right because he, he's very aware of his brand. But Mikel Arteta is, you know, he's just at the beginning of his, his career. And there is a false narrative about Arteta, isn't there? We, we sort of said it, I said it at the weekend, it's the emperor's new clothes. Yeah, listen, you could flip that around and say Mourinho has achieved a lot in the game. Yeah. and probably has earned the right at some point to say, you know what, I don't want to answer that. Whereas Arteta hasn't really achieved anything in the game in, in, in a, from a managerial perspective. So what gives him the right to turn around and say, I'm not answering pre- questions at press conferences designed for him to answer questions? I, I just think that sometimes other managers get a free pass where Mourinho gets hammered. And... So I'm quite keen not to buy into that by suggesting that any footballing decision he takes around uh, Toby Alderweireld or any of the other defenders is, is an incorrect one. Set against that, I would like to see Bale play more. We saw when he played for Wales that Bale still has a wonderful left foot, that he has good vision, that he can make a, a, a contribution to that Tottenham team. And there is no point in paying that money that they do to have him on loan in terms of his wages if you're not going to play him in football matches that he could make a contribution to. But I think that is a constructive footballing opinion rather than just hammering Mourinho for the sake of hammering. And I think a lot of Spurs fans, they want to do that. They're not happy with him. I get that. But, you know, Tottenham need to invest. How many seasons can we go talking about Tottenham wanting to pinch a a Champions League place when other football clubs invest in the quality to get it by right? I think if the question is, is the problem at Tottenham Jose Mourinho or Daniel Levy? I think the answer is probably both. Jose Mourinho has been an elite manager. I'm not necessarily convinced he is anymore. I'm not convinced that he's moved with the times. But Darren is absolutely right to highlight that the lack of investment. On the boot room a couple of weeks ago, I pulled up a table from the, the, the end of 2019, which showed that Tottenham had the 18th biggest net spend in the Premier League. Sheffield United, one of only two clubs below them at the time. So the lack of investment... It has been going on for a while. And I think that's part of the reason that I'm so quick to praise Maurizio Pochettino for managing to take Tottenham with that business model, a flawed business model, in my opinion, if they want to compete at the top level to a Champions League final. I think he overachieved with that group of players and Jose Mourinho has struggled with, with basically the same group of players to match those achievements. How many world-class players have Tottenham got in their ranks? I would argue one in, in Harry Kane, maybe Son, but... There's a debate to be had there, but they have no right really with that group of players to even be in the Champions League conversation. I think they're probably about where they deserve to be in the table. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 
Newcastle have picked up a much-needed win. We understand the severity of the situation because we've now been playing in for weeks. And that's a brilliant goal from Jesse Lingard, and West Ham double their lead. That's the standards. If you want to be up near the top, then you have to set big standards. The players need to know and they need to understand what we need to do to keep winning. On Saturday, Newcastle take on West Ham United. West Ham very much deserve to be in the Champions League conversation. It's live on TalkSport at 12.30. It's a chance for West Ham to tighten that vice-like grip on the top four as they travel to St James's Park. And, I mean, statistically, they're in fine form, but uh, defensively, they've struggled recently, haven't they, Darren? Especially towards the end of matches. And it's quite ironic, isn't it? Because the players that they've lost include... Um, Michael Antonio to go with a long list, Manuel Lanzini as well. They've they've got this far without a recognised striker. They sold Sebastian Haller in January, and yet they are scoring goals for fun, but they are letting goals in at the other end. What might help them is the return of Angelo Ogbonna, who is back, who is fit again, uh, and able to slot back in alongside Craig Dawson. And if they can sort that out, then I, I think they will continue to have a really good chance. I think if they can win this next two games... This is a real opportunity for West Ham to build on the fact that Chelsea don't play until next week. So if they can beat Newcastle, they move into third place with Leicester playing in the FA Cup. And then it suddenly becomes about Leicester fighting to stay in the top four. Now, when I say fighting, I don't want to go against what I said earlier, because time and again, they have defied, defied people who believe that they shouldn't be in the top four. They've got a lot of quality in there. But of course, a big team is going to lose out on Champions League football. Um, and it could be anyone from fourth downwards. So if West Ham were to move into third, they give themselves a really good chance of it not being them. It really is going to be an exciting end to the season because of this, isn't it? Because Chelsea have got... The semi-final against Manchester City. As you say, they play Tuesday night against Brighton. They're live on TalkSport the following uh, Saturday, 5.30, against West Ham, which you know is a crucial, crucial game at the London Stadium. I'm going to be there for that one. Uh, with Andy Townsend, actually. And then they play Real Madrid on the Tuesday night. And they, so they're sort of distracted by semi-finals. Meanwhile, Leicester could be in an FA Cup final. Liverpool got nothing else to play for apart from the top four. I mean, it could be a fascinating end. And, and someone is going to miss... Well, obviously, two teams are going to miss out. But one of the big boys is probably going to miss out. And that is, that's, that's really key, isn't it? Could be both of the big boys um, in terms of Chelsea There's and Liverpool. three big boys. As I've told you before, there is now a top seven, not a top six. So Leicester <laughs> are included in that. Leicester are not a big boy. Let's not get too carried away. They won the title um, more recently than Man United. Just drop that microphone there, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> It's true, and I'm just I'm just repeating statistics. Yeah, go on, you, you, you were saying. Sorry, I, I can't remember what you were saying. Go on, yeah, go on. I, I was just about to say three little birds around his head. He's on the floor, spark out. <laughs> I was just about to say, um, probably a very unlikely statement, but are West Ham quickly becoming everybody's second team this season? Because I, for one, am rooting for David Moyes to get in the Champions League. I think it would be an amazing achievement for him redeeming himself after. Probably what we can now reflect upon is an unlucky spell at Manchester United. He was doing a failure, really. I'm not being funny. You, I, this is why we can't take you as a barometer of public opinion because you flip flop so much. As you've annihilated this poor guy for the last eight years, basically telling him how he wasn't up to it and this, that, and the other. Now he's going to get into the top four of West Ham. All of a sudden, he was unlucky, unbelievable. <laughs> when I say unlucky, do I think he was? up to the job of managing Manchester United? Probably not, but he was doomed to failure anyway because he was replacing Sir Alex Ferguson. It's taken him a long time to redeem himself because he had that ill-fated spell in Spain. He was at Someone the Sunderland. Someone chirping he, in at him from he the sidelines. He got relegated with them, but as I say, I think it's a fabulous story, West Ham, and, and I, for one, hope they go and, 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 and claim that top four place. And I think given the fixture list, I think they can do it. I think it's in their grasp. And Newcastle have uh, only lost one of their last six. Brucey doing his best Alistair Campbell impression and spinning the stats. Um, after the win against Burnley on Sunday, he's quoted as saying, it was great to put back-to-back victories on the board. It actually drawn against Tottenham uh, the week beforehand. Hey, but let's not get the fa- let the facts get in the way of a good story, eh, Brucey? Um, they were dreadful in the first half against Burnley, uh, so expect West Ham to go four up and Newcastle to come back and get a point in the second half. Right, time for this. 
Okay, it's time for uh, Stats Entertainment. Producer Lucy is doing her theory driving test uh, today. So making sure that we don't crash and burn is Scott. Hello. Hello. Very good. Very good. Welcome along. Have you had have you had fun have you had fun so far with with us? Well, yes and no. Um, you know, that, Lucy didn't tell me that she was having a theory test today. I thought she was trying to get her dog out of the flower bed still. So, uh, so I'm <laughs> It's true. It's but, true. She wrestles with that dog quite a lot. Right, what have you got for us? So time for a whistle-stop tour of one of the, it says here, great fixtures this weekend through the prism of stats. I want you guys to give me your best stat from the game between Wolves and Sheffield United live on TalkSport this Saturday at 8.15. And I'll decide who has the best stat once you've finished. We'll keep a table as to who is the most inventive, witty, and relevant out of all of you between now and the end of the season. Last week, Darren got three points for his win. Alex got two points. And Sam, you came last with one point for a stat about a song that most of the listeners to this podcast wouldn't have heard of. I like Scott already. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going first? Well, it was Sam last week, so should we mix it up this week and go, Crookie, you can go first. My, my stat involves uh, a Wolves player, but it's more of a stat looking ahead to the European Championships this summer. Uh, Leander Dendonka, very much part of the Belgium squad, uh, fancied to go deep into the tournament, has never been on the losing side for his country. 15 caps, never lost. So maybe that's a good omen for Roberto Martinez this summer. I think that probably loses points for relevancy. I mean, it's a good stat, but it's not about the game. No. So that's because the game's rubbish. Live on TalkSport eight fifteen. Darren, you can go next. All right. Well, I've actually got two stats that I, I, I've caught my eye from this one. Um, the first of which is that they were destined to win their last game, Wolves, uh, because it was on a Friday night and they'd lost their first three. Friday night games in the Premier League, but they're unbeaten now in their last five, keeping a clean sheet in their last four. So they'll be hoping when the fixture list comes out in the summer that they've got as many Friday night games as possible. And if they do, then I would imagine Adama Traore might want to be playing in them because he scored in that game against Wolves to put him in good shape for this game against Sheffield United. And that goal for him was his first in the Premier League with his 28th shot. Now, that's quite something, given his quality, his creativity, his ability to get beyond the last defender. 28 shots, no goals, plays on a Friday night goal. They'll be hoping that they can play some more games on a Friday night next season. And hopefully that he will have the confidence to score again against Sheffield United. I'm going to be on him. Mm, this game's on a Saturday. Yeah, so far we've had a stat about the Euros and a stat about the 21-22 season. So, Sam, if you'd like to give us a stat about today, <laughs> tomorrow's or Saturday's game, that would be nice. To uh, can we just say... No, the worst thing is, I, I haven't got one about this game either. <laughs> Uh, because we, we may have we may have been better prepared for this had Sam actually sent Darren and me the script and therefore we'd known what game we were looking at. It doesn't matter if I sent you the script. Usually I sent you the script, you never read it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Um so Sheffield United away from home this season are terrible. I think we all agree with that, right? Okay, they Not are just away. They Not are they, away. they are useless away from home. They've uh, picked up just four points, one win, three draws, right? Uh, but how terrible are they? I mean, how terrible are they in comparison to everybody else? Um, no one in England's top four divisions are as bad as Sheffield United. In fact, you go through the Championship, League One, League Two. You have to go all the way down to the bottom of the National League, second from bottom. Barnet, they're the only other team with four points. In France, bottom of the table, Dijon. Much better than Sheffield United away from home. Yeah, but they're mustard. Hey, uh, Den Haag in Holland. They're much better than uh, Sheffield United away from home. Uh, Beveren in Belgium. National in Portugal. Um, I did manage to find a team that had the same number of points away from home as um, uh, Sheffield United. Schalke 04. They are ranked bottom of the Bundesliga and are, are definitely relegated next season. But I also found that in Serie A, Crotone have only got two points away from home all season. They're even worse than Sheffield United, could you believe it? 
How many points do you get for a win in the Premier League? Three. Okay. Because you said they've won one, drawn three. That would be six points. Don't don't replace Rachel Riley on countdown anytime soon. Oh, uh, one win, one draw. Sorry. That's four points. So, okay. All right. So I, I misspoke. That's a bit of an issue when you're doing a speech radio <laughs> podcast, isn't it? <laughs> 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 for, for his... It's like being a surgeon and having a little bit of a twitch. <laughs> <laughs> so for his uh, thorough effort and work into his stats, Sam, I'm going to give you three points. Okay. Uh, Darren, I'm going to give you two points because you gave me two stats, so it only makes sense. And Crookie, unfortunately, because your stat was about the European Championships as opposed to balls against Sheffield United, you're going to have... One point. Oh, that is a shame. So that means I win for the week. Brilliant. Manchester United against Burnley kicks off at four o'clock on Sunday. Now, Manchester United Burnley um, is after the exploits of the Europa League on Thursday night. So we'll have a bearing on it. The uh, The fixture was the low point of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer reign last season when Burnley won 2-0 at Old Trafford. You might remember that game. I know I do because I took Mrs. Matterface to, to that game for our wedding anniversary. Not sure how I survived after that, really, because uh, it was about minus four. It was my only night off that week. And I said, hey, I've got a great idea. Let's go to Old Trafford to watch Manchester United against Burnley. Uh, it was um, what can only be described as bilge, I think. Um, it finished 2-0 to Burnley. Uh, will it be better on Sunday, Darren, do you think? No. Manchester United are going to win. Burnley have won only two of their last 12 games. They've lost the last two after showing promise by beating Everton at Goodison Park. They've since been stuffed by Southampton, annihilated by Newcastle. Actually, not annihilated, only beaten 2-1. But the fact is that they were at home. You'd have expected them to beat a Newcastle side at that point all over the place. But I, I think they may well have their minds on the beach as well. United should beat them, should win well. Um, I feel a bit sorry for Burnley, really. And, and Sean Dyche sort of bemoaned the lack of squad depth after Sunday's defeat to, to Newcastle United because they were sort of in charge in that game. Only Dubravka's save stopping them from running away with it. Fascinating, really, to see what happens with them in the summer because there's rumours that Sean Dyche is going to move on. Um, they've got a new owner who I don't think he's going to um, invest huge amounts of money, but he, he said when he arrived, the Premier League has never seen an owner like me. Um, I don't know what that means and what that's going to, to, to mean for Burnley, but I think it's going to be fascinating, don't you? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see which direction they go in, because I think it's more than just rumours now when it comes to Sean Dyche and, and Crystal Palace. I was told by somebody reasonably close to the club the other day that Sean Dyche is very much the preferred choice to replace Roy Hodgson when he departs, when his contract expires in the summer. And what kind of manager do Burnley attract? Obviously not historically one of the powerhouses in the Premier League, as you've alluded to there, possibly the new owner is not going to lavish his managerial appointment with a huge amount to spend in the transfer window. I think this is a big summer ahead um, for Burnley because Sean Dyche has done so well uh, to bring them back to the Premier League having been relegated and to cement themselves there but it could easily go the other way and I worry a bit for Burnley. It's going to be one but, of those summers isn't it where they hire either Paul Heckingbottom or Rafa Benitez. It's going to be something like <laughs> Not that, much in between. Yeah, Not it's going to be one between. of those. If they, if they lose Sean, Sean Dyche that's, that's the way they're going to go. Um, will Manchester United be better equipped to see this one out do you think uh, Darren after they change the banners on the bottom tier of the Old Trafford seats from red uh, to black so that they could see each other better with echoes of that that game against Southampton back in the day uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer intervening and saying no get rid of these red banners we can't see any anything <laughs> what a silly bit of nonsense that was uh, I think people will be um, watching their results to see what the impact will be but you're either a good team or you're not you can either score goals or you can't. You can either defend or you can't. Now, to be fair to Manchester United, they've won five of their last six. Good win away to Spurs. Wonderful response to A, having a goal wrongly chalked off and B, um, falling behind. Uh, Cavani looks in terrific shape. Mason Greenwood finishing like the rising star we believe him to be. Granada, um, I don't think that they'll be too difficult for United in midweek. I know we record this after, ahead of that game and people will be listening to this 
after that game. Mm. But uh, I don't think the European commitments are going to be a problem. Uh, the fixture list... Well, quite frankly, if they're out, they won't be a problem at all for them, will they? Well, I, I don't think they will. <laughs> they won't be out. They won't, they won't be out. out. If they will be, trust me, I won't get a word in next week because I think uh, uh, Crook will have a few things to say. But just uh, six words for you. Burnley, Leeds, Villa, Leicester, Fulham and Wolves. They are six of the seven teams that United play between now and the end of the season. The only other one is Liverpool. Can they win, the, win the league? Can they win the They're title? Win the league. <laughs> they can win the league. They can't win the title, but they can win all of those games and consolidate second place. Well, they, they're only, what, eight points behind if they win their game in Not hand? Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Let's move on to Arsenal against Fulham Sunday, one thirty. Mikel Arteta's biggest fan, Darren Lewis. Uh, Scott Parker's biggest fan, uh, Alex Crook. Who wins this one? Well, again, it's difficult to make any kind of bold prediction without seeing what happens in Arsenal's second leg of their Europa League game because, of course, that isn't as straightforward as it is for Manchester United. Either way, Arsenal will need to win this game, won't they, against Fulham? I mean, that's, they're at home against Fulham. They're under pressure to win the game no matter what, aren't they? Well, they should be. Um, Arsenal should be under pressure to, to win every game, but <laughs> they've struggled to do that too often over the course of the season. Do you think the travelling to the Czech Republic on Thursday will have an impact on the game? Well, it might do. And and then and that game could go deep as well. You could be talking about an extra half an hour and, and penalties and, and a, an emotional trauma. But I mean, just looking at Arsenal, ninth in the table, three points behind Everton, who, who have a game in hand. I, th- I think they're going to be lucky to finish in the top half because they got Leeds and Aston Villa breathing down their neck. I think it was 1995, the last time that they finished this slow down in the table. And I, I do agree with Darren Lewis. I th- it's, it's puzzled me over the course of the season that managers like Jose Marino, even Jurgen Klopp have got a lot of stick and Mikel Arteta hasn't really. And as we spoke well, last week, that, that is something that's even starting that. to agitate his own players. You say that, you say that we said it on, on this program so many times, you know, I said it was the worst Arsenal team. But I've we're seen almost lone voices. Last life, lifetime, you know. I mean, we can't be any more clearer than that, can we? But we're almost lone voices. I, I, I don't think they're under the, the the national scrutiny that some of the other teams are. For Arsenal to have lost almost as many matches six as they've at won home this season. and six away, they've yeah, you know, yeah tw- twelve defeats this season. It's dreadful. And, and there have been times, and that Liverpool match a few weeks ago was a prime example, when you just don't understand Mikel Arteta's game plan. There, there are some good players in, in that team, but they're mainly the younger players, Saka and Smithrow. Even Martinelli, I thought, made a real difference when he came on in the first leg of their game against Slavia Prague. But too many of the senior players, and Aubameyang is the highest profile example of that, for one reason or another, are not playing to the best of their capabilities. William has been a disastrous signing. I don't think that's necessarily got the attention that it deserves either. I think Michael Arteta has a clear problem when it comes to coaxing the best out of the established stars. Do you think he'll be there at the beginning of next season, Darren? I actually think he will because a lot of the people above him are supporters of him. But I think he'll have less and less evidence to suggest that he should be there long-term unless he's able to do some amazing business to to get the players out that are underperforming and to get players in that can that have the youthful energy and the desire that Alex was talking about. Should, should he be afforded that sort of patience though, bearing in mind that this is a club that clearly needed a massive overhaul? Well, he wouldn't get this much patience at other big clubs, but Arsenal's standard has fallen. Uh, listen, to be clear, we need a strong Arsenal in the Premier League. A competitive Arsenal... Um, is is good for the Premier League. We, we know that. We, we, we'd we love to see it. But the problem is that their standards have fallen so far. They're taking cast-offs from other big clubs now. Uh, the really good players either take lots of money at the club or go elsewhere to realise their ambitions of winning silverware. Arsenal are just not that club anymore. And the fact that you're even asking, can Arsenal beat Fulham, sums up just how far they've fallen. I don't think they're a certainty to win any game now in the Premier League because they are so inconsistent. They're so poor defensively. You can no way get carried away by the fact that they've beaten an already relegated Sheffield United. I know not officially, but you know we all know they're, di- they're down, they're gone, the manager's gone, the magic has gone. I think as far as Arsenal are concerned, they're a mess at the moment. And 
I think certainly the first 10 to 12 games of next season are going to be very interesting because if Arteta, if the team is showing the kind of inconsistent form we've seen from Arsenal this season, I, I don't see how he makes the case for continuing to trust, as some people say, the process. Um, the likelihood is, is that Fulham will probably be ahead or uh, level at half time in this game and then go on and lose it, as they have been in 17 games this season. Um, they are the only team that throw away points more often uh, than... Uh, well, in fact, the only team that throws away more points uh, than them more often is Spurs. So they've, they've, they've had a very bad record of doing that this season. What is the problem there? Is, is it mentality, do you think? I think it's a lack of quality. Um, certainly defensively, they have improved, but they, they still give away too many sloppy goals, and that's been their Achilles goal. Parker. Oh, sorry for him, you know, because yeah, he hasn't had a chance to get some the sort of quality people in, you know. They've won five games out of 32. I think it's win or bust now um, for Fulham this weekend. They're six points behind Newcastle who have a game in hand. I think they, they, they have they have to go into this London derby tar- targeting all three points. Maybe Arsenal will be a decent opponent for them because themselves are not watertight defensively. They uh, allow teams to get at them. But again, I just as you've highlighted by that stat, I don't think Fulham have enough quality to, to get the job done and see themselves over the line. Okay. Um, I, th- I think they'll be in the game. I think they'll be in the game, but they'll yeah. still end up losing well, that, That's the point of the statistic, isn't it? The fact that they always get into a game and then they end up losing, conspiring to lose the game. And that, that is a problem. If they can overcome that hump, or if they had been able to overcome that hump, they might have been in a better position. But as it is, they've got, they've played one more game than Newcastle and Burnley and they have six less points than Newcastle and seven less points uh, than Burnley. Um, okay, this, that's it from us we're back on Monday morning when uh, you wake up and we will know if Manchester City are a step closer uh, to the quadruple Trevor Sinclair and Alex Crook will be with me then uh, please rate and review the podcast and tell all your friends and subscribe to the Game Day Podcast from TalkSport The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.